This morning, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. And uh, when you find your place, just save it. And we're going to get there in just a little bit as we close out a series called Learning to Follow. Um, it's been a fun weekend around the community. Have you been out and about in Fondren, any, any of you? Uh, you can clap or shout or wink or nod or smile at me or something. But it's been fun. Fondren is funky, right? Keep, keep Fondren funky. That's what we're saying. Some of you don't have enough funk, right? You need to get more funky and keep Fondren funky. Um, just met a friend from Austin. They're trying to keep Austin weird. We're trying to keep Fondren funky. But just a beautiful community. I'm looking over at Laura McAlp and her husband Josh and thinking of how hard she worked and how well she did loving people. We had a lot going on. We had a bunch of uh, youngsters, uh, prom people from prep uh, on the front steps taking pictures and parking as they walked to walkers. We had uh, folks from the Christian Medical Dental Association, if I got that right, about 50 strong here uh, all day Saturday. We had a wedding last night. We married Seth and Beth. How cool is that? Make it easy on the preacher, right? Seth and Beth till death, till their last breath. Uh, don't do crystal meth. I mean, we had a lot of... A lot of things that the pastor was able to say last night at the wedding, but we're just so excited and we married them, didn't we, Laura? We got them married right here and working closely with JPD, we got everybody past the barricades right before the parade started. The preacher was the last one, but just a, a good weekend, a lot of love, and we always envisioned, didn't we, Gary, that God would use uh, this place and us, God's people, to minister in our community, to be a beacon, to be salt and light, as Jesus talked about um, in Matthew chapter 5. Tomorrow I'm going to come here. Don't mess with me now, but about noon, I'm going to come in here on my day off, and I'm going to sit right smack dab in the middle of this worship center on March the 30th, and probably with a heart full of gratitude um, and probably some emotion, just thank God for his goodness in the life of Fondren Church. Do you know why tomorrow? Because tomorrow will be one year that God opened up the doors. Fondren Church has been in this place for one year. Isn't that great? And he's, he's just so good to us. And when we tackled this, this project, this, this prayer request that we had for God, we, we were praying that he would give us room and look at the room that we have. This wouldn't have worked at Dueling Hall for a variety of reasons, but God has given us room. He's given us room to grow. Some of you got a place right next to you. You can invite somebody, and God can do a work through you, through us, and he can continue um, to do so, and God is providing for us. Some of you have gotten a letter, or you'll be getting an email or a letter this week, and we're inviting you to pray about the part that you could play in investing in Fondren Church. Uh, this is a big project. You know, my alma mater, just to put things in perspective, the place where I went to school um, they spent $80 million to renovate the football stadium this year. At Highland Village, a place I love to shop from time to time, at least at Whole Foods, uh, they spent $6.4 million renovating that place. And we were able to get this building from Old Canton to State Street, uh, a building appraised at close to $5 million for only $2 million. And God is providing for us. But think of all the things that are happening. I'm looking out and I'm seeing, guys, I'm seeing uh, folks who who've met in our church family, fallen in love, and even gotten married. I'm counting the number of couples. Uh, we're at 12 right now. Uh, folks are finding love. Our church is growing. We're ministering to people. You guys are a part of that. And I just think about this facility and how it's being used at this place and the kind of church God has called us to be here. And it's just a really good thing. And I want to invite you to pray about the part that you can play. Those of you who do invest in our church, I thank you so much for your generosity. I want to tell you quickly, because I hadn't done this to a lot of you. I hadn't shared this with a lot of you. But we have someone in our church who will remain anonymous. Uh, 
He wants to be anonymous. Uh, treated me to coffee um, a month or two ago and said, Robert, I've prayed about this and we want to invest $100,000 to help pay off this note so that we can get this behind us and our church can continue to be generous so that we can be a conduit, a vessel uh, right here in this community. And isn't that great? And that's a matching funds offer. And we're praying that folks uh, like you would pray that you could come alongside that. And through God's provision, we're going to get this thing knocked out. And isn't that exciting? And so pray and pray about your part. And um, God is good. He's good to our church. We're going to finish up today on Palm Sunday this series called Learning to Follow. And we're going to look in a moment at, at, at Luke's gospel. We've, we've let each of these environments that we've been talking about fr- flow from the life of Jesus as um, it is presented in the gospel of Luke. Now this weekend, a lot of you know, uh, the parade that I was mentioning earlier was zippity doo I don't know if you guys got out and zippity doo this weekend. But uh, I, I enjoyed it. I, I live in this community less than a mile from right here. And I enjoyed uh, hanging out with some folks. And I met some sweet potato queens. Did y'all... Did you, Meet any sweet potato queens? No, my wife's out of town this weekend, so I thought I'll go out and meet some sweet potato queens. <laughs> I, I was talking to a couple of them at Roosters, uh, I believe it was on Friday, and I met one lady, two actually, from Traverse City, Michigan. Where's Melissa at? M- Melissa's from Michigan. Are you in the house today, Melissa? I know that we have at least one person from Melissa. Traverse City, Michigan. And I said, well, tell me, as I was telling her about Mississippi, I said, tell me about where you're from in Michigan. And she said, this sweet potato queen said, well, we're the home of the Cherry Festival. And I, I looked it up. I, I Googled the Cherry Festival. It's going to be big this year, July 4th through the 11th. They're going to have Weird Al Yankovic. They're going to have the Blue Thunderbirds fly over. And this Traverse City, Michigan, is a, an area of our country that, and, and really the world that's one of the best places to grow cherries. There's an estimated 2,700,000 cherry trees in this region of Traverse City, Michigan. Now, I'm going to name uh, some regions of our country, and you tell me as best you can what grows there. Just as this area of Michigan is an optimal environment for cherries to grow, uh, I'm going to name a region. You tell me what's optimal there to grow. Okay, Napa Valley, California. Grape. Yeah, we're looking for grapes, not wine. Um, (laughs) Southeastern Idaho. Potatoes. Kansas. Iowa. Good. Let's go faster. Florida. Georgia, Washington, yes, you, you get that, right? You understand when you drive through a wheat field in Kansas or a cornfield in Iowa, you, uh, any of these places, you understand that there are optimum environments for things to grow, right? Certain conditions produce specific things. We, we get that in the agricultural world, but it's also true in your spiritual life and mine. And that's why we've looked this month at these environments. We've looked at three specific environments that are very important. That we believe that provide optimal environments for you to grow. Remember what we've said each and every week. I hope Gary said it last week. But each and every week we've been saying this. That the goal is not to fill a building. The goal is that Christ would fill our hearts. That Christ would be formed in you. In the early church, the first century church, they were known as little Christ. And that is the goal, that more and more, that you, your life would look like Jesus. 
And we've talked about three optimal environments for your spiritual growth. And we're not asking you just to come and listen to the preacher and consider it. We're asking you to embrace it, to make a personal commitment to it. And from Luke chapter 4, we've talked about the road. Jesus, the scripture tells us, he went. It was his custom to go to the synagogue where he would worship. The scriptures would be read. He preached his first sermon at the synagogue recorded in Luke 4 from Isaiah chapter 61. And that is what he was committed to. We looked at the next week as we looked at the road that you can come to church. In fact, it's trouble in, the, in America. It's big trouble in the South. A lot of us think that we can come to church and we're just going to grow spiritually, that something natural is going to happen. And so we learned from James and his half-brother, his stepbrother, uh, or J- Jesus and his half-brother, stepbrother James, when we looked at Matthew 7 and James chapter 1 at the perfect law of liberty. And we said that, that believing is fine, intending is good, but application is everything. You have to do, I have to do, with what we're learning. And last week we talked about, uh, Gary led us when we looked at the Gospel of Luke again, where in Luke 6, Jesus, it says he appointed the twelve that they may be with him. And we looked at Ephesians chapter 4 about what does it look like, because that's the plan of Jesus. The plan of Jesus to reach the world is the be with plan. Jesus said, you guys, be with me. And then when he left and the Holy Spirit came and the church began, it was the be with plan that we would be with each other and that we would be strengthened. Get out of rows and into circles. Circles are the only place that you and I can live out the commands to love one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, confess our sins to one another, honor one another, outdo one another in in showing honor. All these one another's that the Bible gives us, these commands, we continue to talk about them. I think Fondren Church, we don't know our future. We don't know how we're going to grow or what's going to happen or what God has in store for us. But I guarantee you, we'll never stop talking about groups. We'll never stop asking you to get in rows and share life together. That's the call of the New Testament church. And this morning, I want to close out this series by looking at the chair. The chair is a place to be alone. The chair is a place... Uh, for solitude. In Luke's gospel, we see where Jesus, it says that he, he withdrew. When the crowds sought Jesus, he sought solitude. It needs to be a, a practice. It needs to be a habit in our lives. I love this quote from, from Ruth Haley Barton in a beautiful book. It says, I cannot transform myself or anyone else for that matter. What I can do is create the conditions in which spiritual transformation can take place by developing and maintaining a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep me open and available to God. I'm going to be quiet for a second and let you look at that. A condition of our heart a place that we can go. I'm using the metaphor of a chair so that it'll be easy for you to remember. But a place where you can go just like Jesus did and spend time away from all the noise and clamor to spend time with the Father. Now, how easy is that to to do? If you want to induce guilt from religious folks, ask them about their prayer life, ask them about their devotional life, right? It's easy. And I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I'm, I'm up here, but I'm like you. I tell you, I've gone through great seasons of spiritual dryness. I've, I've lived a life of, of hypocrisy and duplicity. 
Uh, there have been times where I've publicly talked about God, but privately haven't convened with him. And what we learn from Jesus, our Savior, is he wants us. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to spend time with him. Let's put that passage up in Luke if we have it. But he would withdraw to desolate places and he would pray. Places where he could get away from it all. I want to, I want to give you this morning three words that we see in the life of Jesus from this gospel in Luke and from also the account in Mark chapter 1. The first word is solitude. In fact, that's what some of your versions say. The NIV, I believe, says that word solitude instead of the ESV's word desolate. A place away from it all. Now, we live around a bunch of noise, don't we? A whole lot of noise. In the middle of Manhattan, there's a place, it's 840 acres big. And every year, an estimated 40 million visitors enter into this park. And they do a variety of things. They rollerblade and they take a leisurely jog around the tree-lined trails. They throw picnic blankets down on the ground and do a variety of things in this oasis known as Central Park. In Central Park, I learned, there are uh, over 9,000 benches. If you take the benches and the picnic blankets, it's kind of easy to see that the biggest activity in Central Park is really non-activity. And there's something to be said for what I just said, non-activity. You see, what happens in solitude is really not so much about what you do, but what you don't do. If you would picture me sitting in a chair with my cell phone, and picture me taking that cell phone and putting it in an envelope, and taking a stapler gun and stapling that cell phone into that envelope, and then taking that stapled envelope and putting it into a box, and that box grabbing some tape and just wrapping around that box, and then just throwing it about 20 yards from me. It's hard, isn't it, today with that little device in all of its glory and all the good things that it brings to us? It's difficult with that device to ever not do anything, to ever be silent. Life is, life is noisy. The EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, estimates that about 183 million Americans are regularly exposed to excessive levels of noise and it's getting worse there's a writer Bernie Krause and actually he wrote about his vocation he, he he's a he does work for film and television sound and all for Animal Planet some Nature Channel some other folks in, in movies and television and he said he was writing he said in 1978 to get one hour of undisturbed noise where there's no airplanes or cars or anything manufactured by man to get one hour, it would take about 15 hours of filming. Today, he says, to get one undisturbed hour, it takes about 200 hours of filming. You see, life is noisy, isn't it? And life is getting noisier. And we see in Jesus one who pulled away to get away from it all. Now, this 
the context of this story is in a town and in a community called Capernaum. Most of you know, even if you're not a person of strong faith or you don't come to church a lot, you probably know that Jesus, just because of Christmas songs, you know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And history tells us that he was raised in Nazareth. That's why he's called Jesus of Nazareth. But when he launched his public ministry at 30 years old, 30 years of age, he started in a place. It was his headquarters, if you will. This place called Capernaum, a village on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And at this account that you read in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, it's really the, his popularity had skyrocketed. The crowds were pushing to be with him and see him. Now, lest we think that Jesus was advocating solitude, modeling solitude for us to kind of create an insular, um, religious subculture that pulls away from the dominant society, know that Jesus valued people. This week in preparing for the day, I was writing down words, verbs in all the gospels that depicts what Jesus did with his disciples. He ate with them and he talked with them. They learned together. They went mountain climbing together. They they did a lot of activities together. Jesus' most lengthy conversation in all of scripture, you know what it is? John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Uh, The time he spent with the outcast. Jesus was people intensive. He he loved people and he taught us over and over the value of hard work. This isn't about being lazy. In fact, Jesus told stories about uh, parables about folks who worked hard. And the, the man who worked hard in the parable was the one who was commended. And the person who was passive and indifferent and didn't engage in the work was called wicked and lazy. How about that? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the Father and I must complete the work. For which he has called me. He invited us to pray for what? For for workers, for the harvest. Jesus valued high work. He put a, a premium on people and being with people. But we see in the midst of it all that Jesus sought solitude. He he desired to come away to be alone with the Father. The second word I want to give you beyond solitude is this word, consistency. Consistency. We see it in this passage. Is it? We have a passage? Yeah. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Okay, we looked at that. He would withdraw, and a couple of the, the account in Mark says often he would withdraw. But notice the tense in the English Standard Version. It gives you that to show you that there's consistency. It didn't say he just did it once, but he would Withdrawal. If you use that, that language, it means something is regular in your life. This was a habit that Jesus had in his life. It was something that he was very committed to. Now, if you thought about your commitments in life, if you thought about your spiritual temperature, in fact, I'd like you to do that now, to think about your own, the, the noise level in your own life and your own tendencies to get alone I talked a moment ago about Central Park and smack dab in the middle of one of the you could argue the busiest city in the world and God has a Central Park in the middle of the Bible it's called Psalm 23 and sometimes we think it's a funeral passage but it says what the Lord is my shepherd most of you know it right the Lord is my shepherd My shepherd, not a shepherd, not the shepherd, but my shepherd. Personal pronouns are really important, aren't they? 
The, David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And what does he do? He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. There's green pastures. There's restoration for my soul. It's the, the central park in the midst of it all. And Jesus consistently would go to the Father. If you gauge your spiritual temperature, when do you go? When do you go to God? And when you go to God, what do you say? I've been fascinated by language, just linguistics, the study of language. You know, there's introductory language. There's, there's, there's language that, that when a baby becomes a toddler, I'm looking, looking at Rick and Natalie Speaker and Austin and Lydia Moore, Robin, Catherine Puckett maybe here. Oh, there's three couples that are having babies this week in our church. But little ones, what do they do? As they grow, they, they're able to go from mama, dada, and no, and other words, and they're able to express themselves. But in introductory language, a toddler does what? It's always, in the, it's always telling what they need. 100% of a toddler's got, they're telling what they need. And the scripture, several times over, talks about spiritual maturity in the same way. And sometimes, you know, and I, let me say this, when your life is wrecked, that's all you can do, right? I mean, you go to God and all you can do is use that introductory language of what you need. Your heart is broken. Your, your life is wrecked. And all that you can get out is that introductory language. But as we grow and as we mature, we're able to, to say things, right? As an adult can say things like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to the store. I want to pick up anything for you. I'm walking to the refrigerator. Can I bring you a drink? We're able to offer something, not just tell people what we need. And when you go to the Father, what's your spiritual temperature what drives you there and what do you say have you graduated are you just telling God quickly what you need we see consistency in the life of Jesus you know there are there are what I call rainbow days in spiritual life and then there are ordinary days you remember the the grand story of Noah and God made a great promise to Noah, and he said, I'm going to give you a sign. Don't you want a sign? I mean, everybody wants a sign from God, right? I mean, it'd be so much easier to spend time with your heavenly father if he'd give you a real clear sign. And God gave Noah a sign. He says, my, my heart is grieved, but I've called you, and I've appointed you, and I'm going to, I'm going to remind you of my covenant with a rainbow. And I've always imagined that rainbow days are really beautiful, aren't they? I mean, I bet Noah felt so close to God. On those rainbow days. Because you see a sign. There it is. God, you told me there it is. On rainbow days, I'm convinced that it's easy to pray. Believing that God hears. On, on rainbow days, I believe the, the, the veil that separates the natural from the supernatural is very thin. On, on rainbow days, sin doesn't look so tempting. On rainbow days, you can open up God's word and really get something out, out of it. In fact, it just seems so personal to who you are and what you're going through. On rainbow days, you are grateful and you see all around you as good gifts. And if it's not a good gift from your heavenly father, it can be redeemed later as a good gift, right? Those are rainbow days and it's just easy to seek solitude, to be consistent in doing that on the rainbow days. But what about the ordinary days? What about the days when there is no sign from God and he seems so silent? When, when doing what the preacher says, when after you've read Jesus calling, you're left a little bit, you're not getting what they're getting, right? There just seems to be a dryness and a disconnect because there are ordinary days. You go through ordinary days. I go 
through ordinary days. There's a time in the life, a period of Israel, when the, the judges were ruling over the land. And in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1, it says one of the saddest expressions in all the Bible. It says that the, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. And that's how it feels on ordinary days. God, you, you're not speaking to me. I'm not getting anything out of this time. In those days, in Israel, the tabernacle was still open. Prayers were still offered. Sacrifices were still made. The people, they were just on autopilot. They were coasting. They were cruising spiritually. And there are ordinary days. The days that, unlike the rainbow days, it, it makes it really hard to seek God. And what we see in the life of Jesus is a life of consistency. A life where he would often withdrawal. He would do this. He would go to that place. A third word I want to share with you this morning uh, is direction. Look at what it says in Mark. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also for that is why I came out. In Mark 135, I'm not sure if we can go back to that passage, but in Mark 135, same account that we see in Luke. Very early in the morning while it was still dark. Let me stop there. That means it was a great inconvenience to Jesus. Moms of toddlers, I don't know. That's why you need to get in small groups together and talk about this, right? It's your sanity. It's your sanity. But to be able to speak, Jesus did this with great inconvenience. He got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. We're told that he prayed. In one account in Luke, we're told that he prayed through the night. Ever done that? We just sought the Father. And it's significant. I, I, I read, I studied this week, and I, was, I realized what I'd learned long ago. That Jesus did this, this particular time, because the very next day, he was selecting the twelve. He, 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 wanted, he wanted his heart to be in tune with his heavenly fathers. He knew he had a really big decision to make. And you guys, this is when it, we have to move away from the introductory toddler language into very adult spiritual language where we, in seeking solitude with the Father, and as we consistently do that, whether they're the glorious rainbow days or the ordinary days where the word of the Lord seems rare, where you seem like your life is cruising on just a spiritual autopilot. We're called to seek him. We're called to seek the Father, but it's where hearing is so important to be silent, to, to lock out the noise, to throw that phone away, and to listen to the Father. The, the ancient Israelites had a, had a word they called Shuma, S-H-U-M-M-A-H. And it refers to their most sacred text in all the Hebrew literature. It was, it's found for us in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's that word, Shuma, is transliterated into our word here. And it's the first word in their most precious passage, Hear, O Israel. Any of you know what it says next? Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And it goes on to give the command to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Later, Jesus would quote that and he would add the word mind in there. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, 
and mind. To hear him. To, to, to listen to God so that you'll know what he's speaking. What he's saying and what he has for you. If you need direction, you need the Father to speak to you. Then I recommend extended time seeking him. But listening. Listening as you can. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we're told the story of Elijah and he's seeking God. He, there's God and there's Elijah. And what's going to be said? And Elijah was probably looking for the rainbow type days. And we're told that there was a strong and mighty wind. We're told that the strong and mighty wind, it tore down mountains. It shattered rocks. That's a strong wind. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a gentle whisper. And that's where the Lord was. I wonder if all the noise in your life keeps you from hearing him. I wonder if the noise in your life prevents God's gentle whisper of what he wants to say to you. I wonder if you're seeking God in the mighty wind and the earthquakes and the fires and you're not open to the gentle whisper of his presence. Look at what it says in Psalm 4.4. Search your heart and be silent. And it occurred to me this morning, early this morning, maybe that's why we don't like silence. Maybe that's it. Because in silence, we're left with our heart and what's in there. And honestly, we want to be a closed book more than we want to be an open letter, right? I mean, isn't that in us? There were four preachers talking, and they, they got together to... And they said, hey, let's talk about our failures. Let's confess a sin. One preacher said, hey, sometimes I watch things I shouldn't watch. Another one said, hey, sometimes I sneak out of town. I go to the casino and I gamble. Another guy said, hey, sometimes when I'm alone, I smoke cigars. Heck, I even smoke cigarettes. The fourth preacher said, you know what? I gossip and I can't wait to get out of here. (laughs) We all have things, don't we? we? We all have things deep down. And some of us resist the circle because we might have to do business with each other, right? We may, have to, we may have to lower the drawbridge and talk about what's really happening. It's the only place of health. When, when, when Jesus' half-brother James in James 5, 16 said, Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Pray for one another. You're not going to be healthy unless you're able to do that. No one's going to force that in your life. No pastor, no small group leader is going to force that. We just want to create optimal environments. Just like cherries can grow up in Michigan and apples in Washington and peaches in Georgia. We want to create an optimal environment. You'll be able to do that. And in a circle, you can do that. But in a chair is when you're alone with the Father and you ask him to search your heart. The deepest part of who you are. We see in the life of Jesus... The metaphor we're calling the chair, a place to be alone with the Father. We see solitude. We see consistency in that. And we see direction. God, what do you want to have? What do you want to do in my life? And am I up for listening to that? I'm praying for you. And I'm praying for our church. That the word of the Lord would not be rare. 
that he would be a talkative God, and y'all, I believe that he is, but that we would be a listening people. That we would make it a habit to gather in rows. That we would make this a priority. Men, I want to challenge you to make getting in a row and and coming weekly to worship a priority as you lead in your families. And those of you who are afraid, or those of you who hit a spiritual rut, or you're in a routine or a dry place, get into a group, get in a circle, and share life. If you don't like the circle that you're in, we'll help you create a new circle or find another one. But seek. A place. Seek a place where you can be alone with the Father. Would you pray with me? As you bow your heads, we're going to end our time this morning on Palm Sunday thinking of our Savior who sacrificed for us. To remember That he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. That we might be made righteous. Religious people need to hear it all the time. It's not our striving and not our good efforts or works. It's the work that Jesus did for us. One time when Jesus in this high and holy week, was praying to the Father in solitude, he prayed a prayer like this, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. An openness. An openness to what the Father wants to do. A yieldedness, a surrendering. Our leaders are are quietly shuffling around a little bit. They're going to get in place for us. And we're going to have around the room and in the balcony. We're going to have um, the elements. Uh, bread representing the body of Christ. And juice representing the blood of Jesus. Shed for us. For the remission of our sins. And we, we uh, ask you as a church family to... Approach. You'll follow the person in front of you who will be given directions to approach the elements. And take the bread representing the body of Christ. Just take the corner of it and dip it into that cup of juice. As you worship, as you, as you bring into mind this holy week, this high calling, this Savior, and his supreme love for you. God, we pray now that you receive our worship. God, that you, that your love would reign supreme in us. God, I thank you that all my efforts and all my works and all my trying, all my striving, it leaves me short. But I can sit in silence and even sit in this room, stand in this room, And experience the searching of my heart. A heart that sin has ravaged and separated. From what is beautiful and good and true and holy. But God you you reconcile that. And God today as we stand in a moment. As we make our way to the elements. As we partake. 
It's a simple but profound act. And everyone in the room who does, God, we're saying to you as this act of worship that you are our salvation and you're our hope. God, the calling is love. Lord, I pray that we would today be inspired to spend time in silence and in worship willing to listen to what you have for us. We thank you that our Savior lived in close proximity with people. And he taught and exemplified hard work in ministry. But he gives for all of us and every weary soul, every tired worker, everyone that's exhausted. He gives us, the Savior gives us, this beautiful picture of rest and recuperation to tired, exhausted people who are prone to stress, subject to irritability, mood swings, and fatigue. You give us salvation. You give us strength. We receive that today.